0: ever heard me speak, you know that I'm sincere when I say I have no idea where this is going. Um, by the way, I am glad as a father of four um, that even though all the nursery workers have COVID, that kids are in this church. It's a great sound to hear kids, um, you know, worshiping, <laughs> uh, you know, lifting up their voice. So we are, we are thankful that you are here. Gosh, a lot of people have COVID right now. So it's, uh, it's strange, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord. So, um, and by the way, these are, you know, when, when I was in youth ministry, one of my mentors said, don't ever come into a small group and go, where is everybody? You come in and go, man, I'm so glad y'all are here. And I mean that, I'm so glad y'all are here. Um, my wife texted me and asked if there was streaming. So Jeff, I don't know if the streaming is working or not, and personally, I'm fine with it not working, but I know there's a lot of people at home if you want to check that out. All right, so Sunday School, hear me now, if anything that I say over the next two and a half hours, I'm kidding, it's always short when I teach too, if anything I say over the next few minutes feels like guilt then I have not accomplished my goal. I don't want anything that comes across in the topic that i am going to be covering today to come across as guilt. And I, I use that phrase even when I ask Tim, invitations and encouragement is really what I'm asking about because just like the Sermon on the Mount that Pastor Brett has been teaching for the last few weeks, it's not about the letter of the law, it's about the heart. And I think even in the context of money, um, God's desire is for the heart, not for the percentage and not for the dollar amount. So we're going to talk about money, and over the next six weeks, give or take, we're going to talk about some of the most practical biblical principles um, on money. Uh, And I want to start by reading my favorite passage on money. Now, most people don't think of this as a passage on money, but if you want to turn to the book of John, to the Gospel of John, it will be on the screen. Uh, I've been told it's harder to see. It looked it look really clear on my computer at home, but um, it's a little difficult to see that white lettering from a distance. So turn to the Gospel of John in the sixth chapter, and we're going to read the first 14 verses of the Gospel of John. Um, I will tell you that For 28 of the last 30 years of my career, I have been working with people's money. Voltaire has a great quote that when it comes to money, all men are of the same religion. Uh, Money is one of those things, you know, talk about my marriage, talk about my vocation, talk about my ministry, do not talk about money. But I got a surprise for you. The Bible is not silent about money. It speaks quite a bit about money. And so we're going to dig into some of those principles over the next few weeks. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, this is the feeding of the 5,000. Interesting statistic about the feeding of the 5,000. It is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. There are other things recorded in all four Gospels, but as far as the miracles of Jesus, this is the only miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. Um, I don't know if that means anything, but it's at least interesting to, to mention. All right, here we go. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not be enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down, Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when he had eaten their fill, when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world. Thanks be to God. This is a reading from the living word of God. Thanks be to God. So money, I was gonna play a little soundtrack back here on money, but I decided not to have that playing in your head the whole time. Um, so, first of all, let me show you what my goal is not this morning. If you could put the next slide up. Um, oh, you can't see the bottom. The bottom says, that was the best sermon on money I've ever heard. So, for those at home, there's two guys standing in their boxer shorts out front. But uh, that is not my, this is not a capital campaign. This is not a cry for additional funds for the church. Please, you know, everybody thinks when, they, and I grew up in churches, where not only do we have a, um, a capital campaign, we had stewardship week. So people would fill out their commitment card and they would walk to the front of the church and actually drop their commitment card in a box. Um, I will tell you in this church, the pastor nor the elders do not know what anybody gives. The only person who knows is the person that fills out the tax receipt for you. So it's not something that we deal with it. There was another great comic that I did not show. I'll probably show it in the Sunday school class, but there's two guys lost on an island and the first guy looks at the second guy and says, they're never going to find us. And the second guy says, oh, I give $100,000 a year to my church. My pastor will find me. <laughs> so, so again, this is, not, this is not a capital campaign. This is not a cry for money. As a matter of fact, here's one of the blessings that has come out of COVID, one of the many blessings. We do not take offering. We've never missed our budget during COVID. We even agreed at the last meeting we probably never will take offering again. God has been faithful throughout this entire time. Uh, We went to a service recently where Eliza got to see um, an offering basket on a stick (laughs) and they actually hold it out in front of you and they make eye contact and you can nod no or you can nod yes, and Eliza's comment was what an aggressive offering that is. and I say that to say I've been on the boards of many churches, and if you sat with the board, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, don't hear me say this, but I've said, hey, why do we why don't we stop taking offering? Hands down, everyone would like, say, Are you kidding me? We can't do that. Well we've not taken, we've not passed a plate, so to speak, in nineteen months. And God has been faithful. So I just want to recognize that. So I'm going to go through three things that I see in this passage and then three points I see about money, and this is biblical. This is a Bible study that we're going to go into. So when I say money, people are like, oh, my gosh, this is biblical. And I'm going to show you some verses, but I want to talk about three things that I see in this passage. First of all, number one, God uses ordinary people, and ordinary things to accomplish his goal. Um, there is a boy that is mentioned in this passage that I love. You know why? You know why I'm reading from the book of John? Because even though this miracle shows up in the, in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the boy is only mentioned in the book of John. And he's not given a whole lot of credibility either. It's like, oh, there's this young boy full of faith who showed up with five barley loaves and two fish. By the way, why were there fish and barley? Because there were gluten-free people and they can only eat the fish. <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) But there's a boy here, and there's very little spoken about. And Sharon and I were actually talking about this passage, trying to figure out why did the boy have the bread and the fish? And Sharon even surmised that maybe he was coming to bring it to family members or people, and somehow, imagine a young boy going into a group of five, by the way, it says 5,000 men. One of the other gospels says not including women and children. So, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people, and you're a little boy with five barley loaves and two fish trying to find your family, and you can't find them, and all of a sudden a disciple comes up and goes, you, bring me your food. <laughs> He's like, I don't think I'm supposed to give you my food because this is purposed for something else, and we can go down these paths a long way and talk about money. The, the original intent of, that, the intent of that food was not to give to disciples as far as we can tell but God took a boy who, who was given no name and basic bread and fish to accomplish the miracle that he accomplished here. So a lot of times in our life we'll say, what is my time? What is the use of my gifting? What is the use of my money? It's so little, it's so insignificant. And God says, yes, because if it was so significant and so powerful, and important, then you would probably take the glory for yourself. And I wanna make sure God says that I get the glory and not you. So he uses barley loaves and two fish, five barley loaves to accomplish great person from an unnamed boy. And by the way, I love the thought that maybe, I wanna think when the 12 baskets were collected at the end, they might've given the boy like four. (laughs) So he finally sees his family, he's like, hey, I got four baskets. And they're like, oh, we're full, you're too late where have you been? Did you not hear what Jesus did? And the boy's like, I was part of that. So God purposes to use ordinary people and ordinary things to accomplish extraordinary um, miracles. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, which I love, when the dispersion, so our Bible study is called dispersion specifically from the book of Acts, and the people were dispersed when Stephen was stoned. Stephen was somebody who was brought into the group to serve tables. Stephen was a holy waiter, but he was so seen, his testimony of God was so vivid to people that people came to Christ in the way this man served food. And at the stoning of Stephen, Acts says, people began to disperse, but not the apostles. The apostles stayed, so the spread of the gospel was done with unnamed people. The Ethiopian eunuch who found Christ and was baptized immediately, Jewish history tells us that he went to South Africa and started a missionary movement that is still going on to this day. So God uses ordinary things and ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary purposes. Amen? Amen. Patty was here, she'd say, amen. (laughs) But she has COVID. (laughs) All right, number two. The instructions are clear but counterintuitive. There's not a whole lot of gray area in this thing. I want you to give me the fish and give me the bread. If you look at the other Gospels, the, the harmony of the Gospels, you'll see that he said break them up in groups of 50 or 100, have them sit down on the grass, distribute the food. When every th- By the way, eat until you are full, eat until you are satisfied, and then collect the broken pieces or the scraps and bring them back to me. Very, very clear instructions. But what would, what would your mindset be if you saw a group of 15, 16, 18,000 people and God gave you a fish and said, go feed everybody? Yeah. Your first response normally would be, you got to be kidding me. The last guy I feed, the guy after that is going to be mad at me, so I really don't want to go out there. And by the way, the fish and the, and the bread passed from hand to hand, so the disciples gave it to other people who served and continued to, and to, to pass it out. So the instructions are clear, and what we're going to talk about in the Sunday school class is Jesus is fairly clear on the principles of giving. You'll find out there's not, hey, if you make between this amount and this amount, you should give this, unless you have two kids, then you should do this, unless you get full tax deduction for the two kids, then you should give this. It's nowhere in Scripture. There are principles of Scripture, and God says we are to give generously, we are to give sacrificially, and it said that God loves a cheerful giver. So it's kind of wide open, um, but, but the instructions are fairly clear. Now I'm not gonna talk about statistics, and if you go home and Google giving percentages in church, it will lead you in the black hole of what I spent hours in this weekend. And depending on who does the statistics, you know, depends on what you'll read. We have a saying in my business, if you torture the numbers long enough, they'll tell you exactly what you want them to. So depending on who was doing the statistics. But I will say this. Um, yeah, and the reason I don't want to name statistics is, as soon as I do, you're like, "Oh, at least we're doing better than them." You know, at least that group's doing this and that group's doing that. But I will tell you that if if the tithe, were, um, was a commandment, which which we'll talk about that, is it is it even commanded, or was it specific to the temple? But if the tithe was the 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 range is always five to seven people, five to seven percent of the people who give, that's important. Five to seven percent of the people who give. Actually, tithe. It's been between those numbers for over a decade, 56765. I will tell you, 2021 was a record giving year in our country, not only of churches, but also of, of extra ministries. And we can talk about that in there. But but if the tithe is the goal, five to seven percent of people give. The average giving per year of those that give to any form of church is $101 a year. So we'll talk about, is that sacrificial? Is that, is that generous? Hear me now. For some, absolutely. For some, giving, a, giving time is their sacrifice. And again, I don't want to hear anything le- I don't want you to hear anything legalistic from me, but if you look at the Church of Jesus Christ and say the average giving each year is101 dollars, then we all make 10,000 bucks or we're not, we're not living up to this. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that among other, other money things as we meet over there. So the instructions are clear, but they are counterintuitive, um, and I love the fact that Jesus says, "Give them something to eat," when they said, "Do we not? We don't have enough." Okay. Point three: Our God is a God of abundance and not scarcity. I won't go to the passage, but it says that our God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, and I love the passage when David, in Second Samuel, I think, says, "You know what? I'm going to build a house for God." And God's like, I don't need you to build me a house. I've been taking care of you this whole time. I will have someone build me a temple at some point, but you don't need to build me a house to live in. I'm God. So God is a God of abundance, not scarcity. Not only, and, I'm, and, and so hear this too. I'm not saying that if you give, you get more money. I think that is a, that is a I won't go far as to say it's evil, but that's a, that's a, that's a very evil Motivation. We do not give money to get money, but the Bible is very clear that you are blessed in the giving. I think we're so concerned to make sure we're not saying, hey, give money so you'll get, that we don't talk about the fact that repeatedly throughout Scripture, God blesses the giver. He chooses to do that with money. With some people, he chooses to do it in other ways, too. But we are blessed if we're good. The Bible is clear about that, and he uses word like abundant and overflowing. Over and over in Scripture, you're going to see the words abundant and overflowing. So God blesses those that give. Amen? Yeah, you're not really sure. Uh, amen? God blesses those that give. Amen? And by the way, there are three specific ways that God instructs us to give in Scripture. You know what those are? Come to Sunday school and I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. I want you to see this verse, This is I mean not this verse, this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes that I wanna put in my office and it's by Billy Graham. It says, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life, in his or her life. And again, um, I get to see, Matter of fact, CPAs and financial planners are some of the few people that really outside of the the financial secretary or treasurer of any church, I get to see what people give. And, and statistics, again, if you look at the highest giving percentage by income is those making between forty-five dollars and $50,000 a year. They give a higher percentage, and percentages as income increases, goes down and begins to trough and goes back up until you get above $10 million the numbers do not get as high in giving as a percentage of income until someone's income crosses 10 million dollars a year which i think are four or five of us in here if i'm not <laughs> mistaken when you make between i think it's 75 to 250,000 you're giving anywhere from 2.4 to 2.6% of your income again these are people that give these aren't everybody these are people that give so it's fascinating by the way three main groups of people that are least likely to give agnostics, atheist, and those under the age of 25. I just thought it was fascinating when I read that statistic. But if you're making less than 50,000, as a percentage, you're giving more than those making a million dollars a year. Why? We'll talk about it in Sunday school. (laughs) All right, so here's something that I wanna transition to as we look at this. I wanna talk about three points of money that we're gonna talk more about in the Sunday school class number 1 is God owns it all i'm going to read from second chronicles chapter 29 verse 14 if i can find it second chronicles 29:14 Thought I marked it. Uh oh, was right. All right, twenty nine fourteen. I didn't mark it. That's not it. That's why. First Chronicles. There we go. That's a strange one. First Chronicles twenty nine fourteen. I did mark it. I'm gonna start in verse twelve of chapter twenty nine. Both riches and honor come from you, speaking to God, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things, everybody say all things, come from you and of your own we have been given. All things belong to God. The earth, our riches, our skills, our breath, the very life that we have, all things belong to God. So one of the things that we always say when people say, well, how much should I give? I'm like, well, if it's all God's, then the question is how much should you keep? Because it's not yours in the first place. Now, God gives money for us to enjoy. God gives money for us to invest and save. God gives money for us to provide. Um, God also gives money for us to be a blessing. But the question is not how much should I give, but how much should I keep? Because ultimately this is all God's. So God owns it all. And if you do not start from this premise, then everything else falls short. By the way, that's true of your gifts. That's true of your family. That's true of your voice. That's true of your vocation. That's true of everything about you. God owns it all. And that has to be our starting point. Second point, God is not silent about money. Well, he apparently is on the slide. (laughs) Ah, You got point three. You can just keep them all up there, Sue. God is not silent about money. Listen to this. There are 500 verses, give or take, in the Bible on prayer. There are about 500 verses, give or take, in the Bible on faith. There are over 2,300 verses in Scripture on money and possessions. So if you do not think that this is a worthy topic to cover, then we're not weighing what's in Scripture. Of the 38 parables that exist in the four Gospels, 16 of them pertain to possessions and money. God is not silent on this topic. He has a lot to say. Um, When polled, however, Christians who go to church, 14% say that giving to church is not important. I think only 48%, less than half, think it's a very important practice to have. Again, depending on what poll you read. So God is not silent about that. And I said, there's five ways to spend that we're gonna talk about over there. Um, and I wanna to say too, I almost made this heading that, that every, um, that, that, that our financial decisions are spirit led. I ended up saying every decision we make about money is a spiritual decision. I was almost going to say it's Spirit-led because, again, in the book of Acts, Spirit shows up. The Holy Spirit is is talked about showing up in the book of Acts 59 times, 59 times um, the Holy Spirit is present in a story, 36 of those times it says the Spirit speaks. Now we don't know how, did he write it on a chalkboard? Did he put it on an overhead slide? Did everybody have a sense of the same direction? We don't know how he spoke, but we know he spoke. And I really think that our financial decisions are spiritual decisions. And and again, that's kind of a catch-all because um, the Bible says that in everything we do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In everything that we do, is my decision to click the 3.99 purchase for. Thor on Amazon a spiritual decision? Yeah. Is my decision to pay it forward in the Starbucks line a spiritual decision? Yeah. Is my decision to pay utility bill and taxes ooh a spiritual decision? Absolutely. Everything that we do, whether in word or deed, everything we do, um, do it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So every decision is a spirit-led decision, and I think even money is something that we need to bathe in prayer. Do you hear me on that? When we talk about money, and for those that are married, this will be a joint prayer and a joint decision. You'll hear me say over there that as I started to get to a point where I was getting convicted about money, I did not tell my wife. Because, not because I didn't think Sharon would all be encouraged, I think she would say, well, if you're going to do that, you have to stop spending money on these hobbies over here. And that's what I didn't want to hear. So, um, so it, it's a spiritual decision, it's one that needs to be bathed in prayer, and it's one that needs to be made together for those that are equally yoked in, in marriage. All right, so uh, a couple of things to talk about before we close out, and that's just it. This is some stuff to you to think over. Remember, I'm not the pastor, I'm just the fill-in. It's a lot of COVID going around. Um, a couple of things to think about, and I want you to, I want you to hear this. I had the opportunity to hear the head of the Southern Baptist Convention two years ago at a conference I was in, and I don't know if it was him or if it was the Southern Baptist Convention was having this thing of the Great Commission is in our hands today. Funding the Great Commission is something within the Church of Jesus Christ today. Um, And they ran through some statistics that I'm going to repeat to you at the time. Now remember, the average person um, gives somewhere between 2.4 to 3.6% 3.6% that gives. Less than 7%, less than 8% of the people out there actually tithe. And again, that's not a comment on their doing good or bad, it's just what is. Okay. But he said that right now, this was 2019, the combined income of all church going people in the United States is $5 trillion. We are the wealthiest faith community in history. And he said, so when they talk about funding the Great Commission, he said, think about this. What if we added 1 million indigenous full-time missionaries, new ones, into emerging markets and and unreached people? Imagine if we completely funded the fight, the global fight against malaria. Imagine if we quadrupled the missions budget of every mission organization serving unreached people group like Ethnos 360. What if we provided food, clothing, and shelter to six and a half million refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East? What if we tripled the global Bible translation budget? What if we funded 150,000 seminary scholarships for students in emerging economies? What if we doubled the operating budget of groups like Compassion International that work with orphans and refugees? What if we established eight new Christian universities around the world? And what if we hired 25 additional ministers and missionaries to work on our college campuses like InterVarsity does? That would be amazing. What would it cost? 0.4% of the income of people that currently go to church to fund every one of those initiatives. One out of every 250 bucks that we have. Less than one-half of 1% of our income would fund these initiatives. Now I am blessed to be a part of a church. We, at least in my tenure on an elder board, we've never been in the red. God has blessed this church, but we are missing a blessing when we hold back of that which sometimes is more dear to us than the instructions of God. Because one of my points is God's instructions are clear although they sometimes feel counterintuitive. So my prayer, as we go into the Sunday school class, that we will learn that money is not about money. It's about trust. It's about faith. It's about joy. And it's about blessing. So as we get through, I want to read a verse from Galatians 5.1 to close out. See, look at this. Man, I'm going to get y'all all up so early. Actually, it's worship. There's no worship, so it was super easy. Um, or as Bill said, excuse me, it's all worship. There was no music today. So stand with me as we go to Galatians 5, and I'm going to read this as the benediction, and then we can leave. Galatians 5, one. Think about this in light of money and what I talked about today, where the author of the book of Galatians says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again a yoke of slavery. I'll tell you, I know some very, very wealthy people who live their life in bondage, and I know some very worldly-wise poor people who are some of the freest people I have ever known. So it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. God bless you. Stay healthy. Don't kiss people here today. But thank you for coming.